0: Our topic today is cryptocurrency, other crypto assets, NFTs, in Jewish law. It's a cliche, but law, Jewish law in particular, has to grapple as society evolves, as technology advances, we have to grapple with things that the the law as initially articulated did not countenance. All kinds of technology. hal We we have to deal with new things that weren't around in the time of the Bible, in the time of the Mishnah. Cryptocurrency is an extreme example. It did not exist thousands of years ago. It did not exist hundreds of years ago, for that matter. It didn't exist 15 years ago. Crypt- uh, Bitcoin is just a, just a little above 14 years old. It began in January 2009. So it's uh, even by internet standards, it is a relatively new te- relatively new technological innovation. One that, of course, has has become exploded into a very big deal in the, in, over the last 15 years or so. So we're going to discuss today some of the Torah and Jewish law perspectives toward cryptocurrency. Just to give a little bit of outline of what we're going to discuss and what we're going to focus on to a greater and lesser extent. In recent, in recent uh, weeks, months, much of the discussion about the, in the crypto space has been about fraud has been about criminality and fraud, obviously with the recent implosion of FTX. But even over the last couple of years, uh, cryptocurrency makes the news a lot because everyone gets hacked, individuals get hacked, exchanges get hacked, Uh, flaws are found in smart contracts, Um, all kinds of money is siphoned off and stolen. Various cryptocurrencies seem to be Ponzi schemes. Uh, There's all kinds of manipulation, pumping and dumping and so on. Cryptocurrency is often used to pay criminals. Ransomware seems to be used for money laundering a lot. Um, And so there's a lot of, of, one of the most uh, controversial and newsworthy aspects of crypto in recent years has been its uh, adjacency to criminality. So we're not really going to address, focus on this aspect, this unfortunate aspect of crypto in our talk today. There are halachas about not about not dealing with criminals. You aren't supposed you, you aren't supposed to dea- you aren't supposed to buy stolen property, even to the extent that the original owner has lost his title to it, because you are making crime pay, so to speak. You, you aren't supposed to be incentivizing crime. So certainly, uh, to the extent that you had a you had a technology which was exclusively about fraud and about criminality, you shouldn't get involved in it, even if you're not getting involved in criminality, because you're enabling and uh, Incentivizing criminals. How rife is criminality in the crypto space, again, and whether it rises to the level where this would be a concern, is, is not something is not something that we're going to really enter into deeply today. Uh, you, you, would to, you would have to comb through the you know, have, to try to somehow figure out how much of the, of, of, of the world of crypto is legit and how much is, uh, how much is rife with, uh, with fraud and criminality and other and various types of uh, bad behavior. So we're not really going to get involved in that. We're not. We're not going to get involved. Also in what, for many people, is the most pressing question about crypto: should I buy crypto or should I not buy crypto? <laughs> I am not a uh, financial advisor, and uh, everyone should, should should do his own research or consult those who is, consult those with wisdom and those uh, who can advise them properly about the, the advisability in uh, investing in crypto. Uh, I suppose I should make the. Obligatory disclosure: I own, I think, about seven dollars and thirty cents in, uh, in in crypto. PayPal was having a uh, a deal with you, chip in five dollars; they'll kick in five to encourage you to use their uh, crypto buying service. So, so I think, I bought it when it was high, so I think I cut my ten dollars has turned into uh, about seven fifty or something. I don't, not, I don't have a substantial stake in the in this in this area. Um, personally, I will just note for whatever it's worth, and uh, put my cards on the table, I am something of a uh, crypto skeptic. I, I personally tend align more with the view that there, there, it, it is a solution uh, in search of a problem, that there has yet to really be any major application uh, of crypto that cannot be addressed equally as well by existing database technologies, existing currencies, existing Existing frameworks that there's that, that very very little aside from criminality, but that's that again. That's a personal opinion and that's uh, There may very well turn out to be applications that uh, For which crypto is an excellent fit again that, that that isn't really going to feature into our discussion today our discussion today will focus perhaps on some of the less uh, Controversial and less dramatic aspects of crypt- of cryptocurrency and digital assets in general and that is basically the, more, the narrower and technical questions of what is their status in halakha? How does halakha view a, a crypto asset, a Bitcoin, an NFT, a, an Ethereum token, or any of the other hundreds of tokens <coughs> that, are, that, are, that are floating around, being minted and circulating out there right now? What is their status in halakha? What, 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 uh, what role do they play with, with, in various halakhic frameworks? What, what, perspectives, what perspectives does the Torah take? On these various types of assets. So, first of all, briefly, ju- just as a basis for comparison, let's discuss a little bit about what the law, what the law says about uh, digital assets. I don't know that there is an entirely settled uh, framework on this yet. I apologize, by the way. I did produce handouts. Unfortunately, when I sent them in by email, I sent in the email, sends the handouts. So, th- 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 I- I'm happy to make them available to anyone who uh, who wants them. If you just ask me afterwards, either, either just mention it to me or. Send me an email. I'll be happy to send it to you. But in the handout, I included uh, briefly a couple of legal perspectives on on digital assets. The IRS considers them assets. If you have, if you realize not currency but assets, if you realize gains, you are you, then, then it's like any other asset that you sell a house, securities, anything, anything that you sell and, and realize gains, your gains are taxable. The IRS considers them property and considers profits realized realized from the trading in these assets to be taxable the lawyers you know, courts and lawyers have attempted to uh, get into the question occasionally of whether they are property in the legal sense of the word uh there was a there, there was a case in a Maryland district court where where there, there was some there was some somebody was operating an illegal business an illegal money transfer business it, was, it wasn't properly registered so the fed, so the government seized uh seized the bitcoins on the grounds that uh, civil asset forfeiture and assets used in connection with the crime, uh, the motion, the case was something like you know, federal government versus 54 bitcoins. The, 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 the defendant in the motion was the 54 Bitco- 50.4 50. bitcoins, I think, that they seized. And the judge said it's property. It, uh, the, 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 these bitcoins are property in the sense of the law and they can be seized as uh, under the rules of, um, of, uh, of uh, asset forfeiture. I said there was a long, a much longer and more uh, thorough white paper on this by I don't know how to pronounce the firm's name, Perkins, uh, Perkins Cooey. Perkins a couple of lawyers uh, from their blockchain group wrote up a whole white paper discussing what should U.S. law's perspective be as to whether, as to whether crypto at digital assets are property. There again. We live in a federal system, so there's the definitions of property can be a state-by-state thing for many purposes. They, they, they analyzed it from the perspective of California law, quoting court tests for determining what's an asset. You know, a phone is an asset. Uh, a house is an asset. So what about intangible assets? So the law obviously has recognized certain types of intangible assets for a long time. There are, there are, there are various types of intellectual property which, which are treated as assets, whether copyrights or patents or so on. Domain names for the, the internet uh, DNS for the domain name system so the so these lawyers for Perkins Cooey you know, studied studied the question of whether five years ago or so whether the whether digital assets crypto assets would be considered property from the pers- from the perspective of state property law, they concluded that it would under California law, which they thought was representative of the state property law in general so I, again, I don't know how much this has been tested in court by now. I, I'm not sure what the latest and greatest uh, either academic, scholarship, or uh, or legal decisions have been. But in general, the, the inclination seems to be, for many purposes, to treat these digital assets as as property of some sort. They're generally not considered currency because currency, by the modern definition, we generally define as something uh, government-issued or something government-declared to be legal tender. There was the famous experiment in El Salvador that they considered Bitcoin, legal tender, but that's very much a, uh, an exception that proves the rule that most governments do not recognize digital currencies, virtual currencies, as uh, the IRS calls them, convertible virtual currencies, if they're readily convertible to currency, but not currency generally. So property, the, the general trend, seems to be to consider them some form of property. So our question here is, what do we consider these things from the perspective of the Torah, from the perspective of Jewish law? which is conceptually an interesting question. So again, by the analogy to other forms of intangible property, the the first question is, does the Torah, the the general question is, does the Torah recognize any form of intangible property as property? And that itself is not really a resolved question. That itself is something of an unresolved disputed issue. I I mentioned earlier that lawyers have tried to make analogies to intangible property like copyrights and patents and so on. Whether Halacha recognized those sorts of property is, uh, is is a serious question. This has been debated in halachic sources for a couple of centuries. We covered this here, I think, in an early, uh, in, 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 several years ago, in an earlier uh, lecture in this series. The, the the Torah's attitudes toward copyrights and patents, and the opinions of halachic authorities are really all over the map on this. There are some who take for granted as just a as axiomatic, that the Torah should recognize some property right that a creator. Has in his creation, despite the fact that it's intangible, there are others who said no such thing. There's no precedent for this. There's simply no traditional source that indicates that uh, there, there, there's simply no traditional source that indicates that there's uh, that there's any uh, that there's any property right in in an intangible entity like an idea, like an invention, like a literary creation. Various authorities have, have have constructed other frameworks for the for the protect that 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 grant some protection to intellectual property. They they've 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 tried to stretch the laws of of unfair competition to extend to commercial use of uh, intellectual property to which you have no right, or you know, unjust enrichment and so on. But it, it's far from clear that the Torah recognizes any sort of abstract intellectual property. Some authorities say they do. So. In other contexts as well, they discuss whether, let's say a recording, a recording of a conversation that was improperly obtained, is a person violating any sort of property right by uh, secretly recording without permission, making publicizing a recording of a conversation? Not necessarily there's anything creative in that recording, but is there any property right a person has to his own recordings or to his image? Can you photograph someone without his permission? and? Uh, Use or publicly disseminate such a photograph, and all these things are far from settled in uh, in Jewish law. There are many authorities in all these cases that forbid the the that forbid flouting somebody's wishes in these areas, but not necessarily because of uh, a classic property right. a variety of other explanations. Some people say, including love your love your neighbor uh, as yourself. I always object that. That shouldn't really. I always feel uncomfortable with invoking that in a in a legal concept, in a halachic legal concept context, because we have a Shulchan Aruch, we have a Talmud, we have a complicated body of law. We we can't just replace law by saying "love your neighbor." Love your neighbor is an ideal; it's a mitzvah. We should all be following it, but there's still a place for law, which which delineates rigorously what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. We should all aspire to to show love and uh, consideration for our neighbors, but we still need law, which says exactly what I'm allowed to do, what I'm not allowed to do. So in general, the, the attitude of the Torah is far from clear as to whether there's such a thing as ownership in intangible in ideas, in intangible uh, things. And certainly when it comes to cryptocurrency as well, to digital assets, to NFTs, it is far from clear that Halacha would recognize, and in my view at least, it is far from clear that Halacha would recognize any property right it's it, it's really very abstract. If you, it, it, again the the math is uh, is going to be beyond me, but uh, digital assets, you know, in, 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 what they call the distributed ledgers, the, the way cryptocurrencies are stored and transferred, it's a consensus algorithm. The co- multiple copies of a basically of a ledger of a kind of database are shared between different computers. When when, when enough different computers in of the total percentage agree on something. It's considered uh, a valid and authoritative record. To own cryptocurrency, it's all based on public key cryptography, where, where I have I have secret passwords, secret keys, which enable me to authorize transactions, which are then recognized by the other computers here. It, there's no actual property that floats around. It's all It's all simply by my possession of certain secret keys, where I can sign and I can authorize certain transactions. The network as a whole, the database, the distributed database as a whole, now considers one account or another account, the holder of one key or another key to be the, the owner, so to speak, of these intangible assets. Are these even assets? Does Halak, would Halakhi even recognize that these are assets? Again, far from clear. The, very, very far from clear. The truth is, though, before we get too carried away with uh, focusing on the intangibility, modern money is largely intangible as well. Most of us, you know, we, over the total of our working lives, we may make, you know, we may take in millions of dollars in, in, in salary. Most of us will never see that much cash in our lives, assuming that we're engaged in legitimate businesses and we aren't, uh, we aren't drug mules and so on. Most of us, almost all that money is going to be numbers on a piece of paper or today, uh, market today, uh, bits in a computer somewhere. Most of the money supply itself, the, the, they, they have M zero, M one, M two, M three, M B. They have all kinds of measures of the money supply. Many of the important measures, are the, the most basic measure, M0 are the, the, are the, are the currency and the, the, and the coins. But beyond that, we have M1, we have M2. We have different measures of money which involve what, what today are essentially digital things. There are checking accounts, savings accounts, accounts, other types of short-term obligations, CDs, time deposits, money that exists basically on a series of computers that talk to each other. We certainly recognize that as money, and even, even, even under Torah law, it is likely that this is considered money even though it doesn't have a physical, tangible existence. Maybe because it's easily convertible into physical, tangible money, maybe for other reasons because whole society is built around this. But again, the the fact that it's simply digital and it's simply uh, abstractions and mathematical and computer abstractions isn't necessarily an objection to creating it, to considering it money. But the bottom line is, especially with something like crypto, which is not directly connected to anything physical, unlike money, which... The root of money is the, is the fiat money, is actual things created by the government. Crypto is basically just a series of mathematical calculations, nothing more, which the, the consensus of those who participate in a given network agree to recognize as, as representing some kind of asset. Not entirely clear the halacha would recognize it as anything. Nevertheless, the consensus of halachic authorities that I have seen, contemporary ones obviously, as we said, it's less than 15 years old, but the, 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 the consensus of, of contemporary authorities I have seen discuss the matter typically assume that it is property and that it has the halachic status of property. Does it have the halachic status of currency, in particular? That, the general consensus, is no. So, we'll discuss soon what the implications are in halacha of something being considered property or currency, one or the other, but in general, what is currency from a halachic perspective? What, what, how does halakha define currency? So how does the law define currency? So the, the history of currency is that currency used to, be, used to be actual items that had value. Certainly when they had a barter system, even once they began to use currency issued by governments, currency typically was pre- coins made of precious metal. Paper money began to be used, like many inventions, apparently first in China about a thousand years ago or something, more recently in europe and over the last several centuries in england in the 17th century and then over the last several centuries paper money has basically taken over money all all all, all serious denominations of money today in most of the world are paper money So, post halachic authorities in the last two centuries have began have begun actually began to discuss actually actually began to discuss what is the halakhic status of paper money in order to answer that question, they had to address the fundamental question, what is money? What is the definition of currency from a Torah perspective? So, the history. It, in order to understand their discussion, we also have to understand the, a little bit about the, the history of paper money. The paper money in, in Europe, again, the European version, the, the Western European version, began in the 17th century or so, began as notes issued by banks. They were basically IOUs. They were IOUs by recognized, well-regarded, reputable and stable banks. The bank said, you know, you have on deposit with us. We will pay to the bearer X amount of real money. And because this bank's reputation was good, merchants then began to use those bank notes, as they were called, as, as, as in practice they were currency because the bank was good for the money and they, they, were easily, they can easily be carried around. And so they were money. Later, that that began to become the the prerogative of central banks, banks that were chartered and authorized by the government. For much of the history of banknotes, they were still actually redeemable for real money, for specie, for, for, for actual gold coins and so on. Until, of course, the major Western governments went off the gold standard and the silver standard. The money became pure fiat money, money whose value is derives simply because the government says so, which is a lot of the motivation of the Bitcoin advocates, the evangelists, they, they don't like fiat money, they don't like the fact that government is in charge, they want nobody to be in charge, they want, uh, they want techies to be in charge, they want everyone to be in charge, so, that, so, so we have, today we have fiat money. So When the Postcom first began to discuss this, they were still dealing with the traditional type of banknotes, which were issued by, by actually banks, and they were redeemable by some type of real money. So about 150, 200 years ago, 200 years ago or so, is when halakhic authorities began to grapple with the question of what is the status of banknotes. So they, they proposed a number of different theories, a number of different definitions, for what is the definition of currency from a halakhic perspective. The most obvious, or the most modern, perhaps, is the notion that the notion of legal tender. We have a notion of legal tender, which is a legal definition of what. Of of what is acceptable as payment, so the Chassam Sofer famously said that the definition of currency from a halachic perspective as well, it is a government-defined thing. Is it is whatever a government declares to be legal tender. His definition of legal tender actually was slightly different from ours. The way he put it was, if a merchant refuses to accept a banknote, it's a grave offense against the against the government, and he says mischayev barosho, it's it's a capital offense. He'll be punished for it. The modern definition of legal tender is rather different. Actually, apparently, there's no legal obligation for someone to accept the money. You can say no if you want, just that that is called that the debtor has tendered payment for the debt, and he is now off the hook. If he has presented something to you, if he has tendered to you something that is legal tender, his debt is considered discharged. You want to take it, take it. You don't want to take it, don't take it. But the point is that the... It, 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 it's a right of a. Essentially, it means the court will recognize payment made in legal tender as 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 affecting a discharge of the debt. But basically, the, the basic idea of legal tender, whether it's a criminal offense not to take it, whether it's simply a civil a right, a civil right of the of the, of a debtor to make payment in that in that currency, that's the Chassam Sofer's position. That the definition of legal tender is anything. The definition of currency is whatever the government considers legal tender. Bitcoin is not legal tender anywhere in the world, as far as I know, except for El Salvador. Cryptocurrency in general is not. So that's why most halakhic authorities have said, certainly if we work with that definition, then crypto is not legal tender. It's not currency. There are a number of other definitions that halakhic authorities have proposed for currency, though, that are not defined in terms of legal tender. Some said that, it some used a more, a more pragmatic, a more social definition. They said, they said the definition of currency is anything which is widely used as a medium of exchange by merchants. The, the, theor- the theorists of money, the economists, talk about how money serves several functions. It's a unit of value. It's a medium of exchange. It's a store, it's a store of value. So some authority said that the, the, key, the key property of something for it to be considered currency is that it is a medium of exchange. It, it is widely used. What makes money different from barter is that barter I have to offer the merchant something, and he has to decide to accept it in exchange for whatever I want from him. Money is a universal medium of exchange. It's something that I don't have to worry about whether the merchant... I'm a shoemaker. I don't have to worry about whether the, the butcher needs shoes or not. I simply sell my shoes for money, and I use the money to buy meat at the butcher. So anything that is widely accepted among merchants, independent of whether that's simply a social consensus, a law, the point is, it, it, we look at the, the the pragmatic question of whether it is widely accepted or not. According to this definition... If crypto ever was became widely used, as widely used as its founders, as its evangelists wanted it to be, there were those famous stories about the first pizza that was sold with a Bitcoin, or the Tesla was taking Bitcoin for a while, or you know, there are various things you can do with Bitcoin. So in theory this is this this might be an easier hurdle to declare if if, uh, if cryptocurrency of one sort or another became widely accepted uh, as payment. It might be considered currency according to some authorities. However, again, the consensus is that we are not at that point yet. Even though there are, again, there are these handful of places, not just El Salvador. There are a handful of merchants, and you know there are online various online stores and purveyors of things, even legal things, that do accept uh, cryptocurrency as payment. But it is not nearly uh, as ubiquitous, as widespread, as it would need to be to be considered currency. And so, once again, Postkim have said that the. It would not be considered currency under this definition as well. There are other definitions as well, other criteria as well, that were suggested for money. A very interesting theory was proposed by Rameshul Igra. He said that halacha actually has several categories of assets. There's real property, there's personal property, there's, there's, there's currency, and then there, is, there are instruments. Uh, a debt, for example, a, 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 uh, a recording of a debt, a shtarchov, we call it, right, an IOU, a note, a bond is called an, an instrument, they tell me it's called, and in, uh, and in halacha it's called shtaros, the category of documents. The, the idea of shtaros, of documents, what makes it a, a, a special and uh, unique asset class in from a halachi perspective is that there is a physical item involved there. There is physical property, the document, but the document is simply representative of value that is somewhere else. The, the document represents... The, my ability to obtain money it represents a right I have in someone else or an obligation he has to pay me. So the, the, the underlying value is more of an intangible, a uh, legal right that I have. The document is kind of the, the physical manifestation the, the, or the thing that enables me to access that value, to, to prove it, to demonstrate it. Mishul Migra argued, with regard to currency and banknotes as well, anything which in and of itself is, has value can be currency. Or, 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 or an ordinary asset, but anything which is simply instrumental to accessing value somewhere else would be would be considered in the special category of shtaros of, of instruments and not actual, not currency or not ordinary property. He discusses the question of whether, if you lose your dollar bill, if the dollar bill gets burned up, can you get a replacement dollar? So, in general, he says no. You, he says he says generally says he says no, you can't. So that would mean that the dollar is considered an asset or currency rather than Starris. In, mod- in, in modern America, you actually can get your bills replaced. There, there are various rules. If you can present more than 51% to the bill, the bank will pretty much give you a new one without much fuss. If, it's, if you have less than 50% or if it's been digested by a cow, these are actual cases that the government says on its website or otherwise burned. The government does accept proof of the destruction of the of the bill, and will replace it if you can prove again, if, if, they can, if it can satisfy itself that you aren't simply uh, you know, cheating and storing the bill somewhere else and trying to duplicate it. So, Ramashul Megra has argued that, that as he understood bills, they, they were not replaceable. They were, even if you can prove it, they're not replaceable. So, that means that it's considered actual currency or actual actual items of value. By his standard, even modern currency might have a different standard, might, might be considered shtaras, might be considered in the special category of instruments, because in theory, it is replaceable. Okay, but th- this is more of an outlier opinion, though. The, the two, I think, I think the two primary opinions that most authorities have accepted uh, that, that, that what defines currency is either its legal status or its pragmatic social status, that in practice it is exchangeable, readily usable as a medium of exchange. There were also opinions that, that, in, that indeed, uh, very conservative opinions, that indeed said that paper money is not currency, paper money, is uh, It doesn't have any intrinsic value. It's considered shtaros. It's considered mere instruments. And uh, it's, not, it's not the same thing as currency. And certainly Bitcoin would... Uh, so, so what category Bitcoin would fall into? So again, according to, the legal, according to the legal tender standard, it's not legal tender pretty much anywhere in the world except for El Salvador. Not generally considered currency. According to the pragmatic standard, we have to keep an eye on how, how widespread the various digital currencies are. But again, they're generally not widely usable to purchase goods and services, to discharge debts and so on. Again, it probably wouldn't satisfy. According to this other idea that, it's, uh, that we look at them as instruments because they represent value somewhere else, on the one hand, you know, this is a little murkier. On the one hand, Bitcoin certainly doesn't represent value anywhere else. There, there's nothing there except the, except the cryptography, except the, the secret keys that you have and the math that upholds all of it and the computers that record it. On the other hand, the the actual, certainly if you have a a digital wallet, if you have a little hardware device that stores your keys, or if you print out your keys, as some people recommend, and keep them on a paper somewhere, that paper arguably is very much like shtaros. It's not the, that paper itself is simply an instrument that helps you, not legally, but practically that paper helps you access the value. The value is this kind of intangible and abstract uh, mathematical and and computerized uh, entity so we, we can debate, I guess, what value the papers have. This, so, but, but in general, as I said, the, the, the halakh authorities generally agree that it would not be currency because it doesn't meet the primary standards of currency of either legal tender or of widely usable as a medium of exchange. They generally do assume, though, that it is considered property in general, and not necessarily shtaros, but ordinary property, because they just intuitively seem to assume that since it has a de facto existence and value, it makes sense to consider it property.
1: I'm thinking of... Um, You have like, this intangible money in it, and if it gets stolen, then, then you can prove it, you get it replaced. It feels very
0: similar to me. Right. So, as you mentioned, a lot of modern money, e- even money itself, existing in bank accounts and Federal Reserve accounts and regular commercial bank accounts, is very digital. And a credit card is a similar thing as well, that the, that the credit card is, essentially, certainly from a perspective, the way we view credit cards is, similar to a line of credit, an old-fashioned line of credit, which still exists today as well, whether it's a home equity line of credit or commercial bank line of credit that the, the bank gives you a line of credit you can draw upon to borrow money at will, and the bank will essentially advance the money to whomever you, you, to you in a cash advance or to whomever you choose to give it to as a merchant, and the bank then expects you to pay it back in the, in the, in the form of your credit card payments. So, right, so there also, if someone uses your card and makes a payment, the bank assumes that you have done that and assumes that you owe it the money. But if you can establish that it was fraud, if you, if you file, if you say unauthorized use of the card, and you say fraud, then the bank, then then the bank will reverse that. The bank will say, okay, you know, sorry, you don't owe us the money after all. That's also an interesting question. The, so the credit card under under normal usage, we would, we would typically view it as simply the creation of debt obligations between you and the bank, and the. It would, be, it would be classified under debts. The, the question is, given that it's reversible in the, in the, in the case of fraud, how does that change things? An interesting point. I have to think about that a little further. Yes? I
1: have several questions. Yes? Um, the first is, um, you know, the, the U.S. dollar is based on, or was based on the gold standard. Um, not anymore. Um, you know, we're printing money, that money is not backed by any gold standard, is there any argument to be made that the dollar also is not a currency of sorts because it doesn't have, quote unquote, its intrinsic value linked to it?
0: Right, so as I was saying before, quite the Post can acknowledge this, so you can kind of see this in the discussions in the Halakhic discourse about about what they assumed currency was or wasn't at a given time. Nevertheless, as I was saying before, the the, the the generally agreed upon definitions of currency today are either the legal tender standard, that it's whatever a government uh, decrees to be legal tender, or the, the practical medium of exchange standard, that they're widely usable. The fact that it that it's that it, that it floats in the air, that it isn't really it isn't really uh, linked to anything of inherent value. Most authorities say it doesn't matter. There is a minority opinion that says that it does. That the fact coins have essential value, so they're considered money, modern currency. They want to compare it to Starrus. So they're simply instruments. They allow me to get value. If I have a dollar, it's valuable not because it has any intrinsic value, but because I can go to the store and buy a pizza with it. So, so the so or a car. So that that's the value. some 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 interpret that as shdars exactly because it has no value. There's actually an interesting little footnote here traditionally money before they had paper money was, was coins of precious or semi-precious metal. So some authorities argued that even after paper money was introduced, they argue that coin money is real money because it has real value. Paper money doesn't because it has no real money. Others countered, by that time at least, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I've always been a little per- confused about this, but ancient Roman history, but certainly by the, certainly by the, by the time of the European acronym of, of 200 years ago, even the coin money, the value was not strictly the value of the underlying precious metal. Uh, I don't know exactly how it worked, but the, much of the coins that were many of the coins that were used, they were gold or copper or whatever coins, but the value still exceeded the the value of the underlying metal. We had cases in, fact, in the U.S. where it was reversed it, with the. If la- it doesn't
1: exceed the value, and
0: people melt down right. the coins. Right, right. We, we had cases in the that U.S. Is occasionally, a problem with the pennies or the things where the copper or the zinc was worth more than the... Right, then obviously the economic incentive then is to, uh, to arbitrage that by, by, by converting to precious metal. But often it was worth more, in which case, obviously, it was in your interest to keep it as money. So other authorities said, they said, so what's the difference? Even, even if you're using coin money, if the value exceeds the, the value of the precious metal, then you shouldn't recognize that as being money either. Some actually tried to distinguish. Some actually felt and they made a very kind of subtle... Uh, legalistic distinction, that if there's some inherent value in the, the coin, even though the denomination of the coin is greater, that is considered money, but if there's no inherent value of the like, paper money, then not, that, that's a difficult distinction to air. but in general, it's kind of either one or the other. Either you say, we don't care what the value is of the inherent substrate of the, of the currency, as long as it's exchangeable and usable and, uh, and, uh, and legal tender, it, it, it's fine, that's the dominant view although there is a minority opinion, as I said, that it's considered simple instruments and don't have the status of real of real money. Yes?
1: I'll ask two questions. One is, you know, if you're exchanging Bitcoin for a pizza, aren't you accepting that it has value because you have uh, basically exchange it for something material? Isn't it kind of like a, um, how do you say it, like a, um, a kinus? A kinion? A kinion? Um So that's one question. The other is, um, is there a discussion around what point it would be widely accepted that this is a uh, widely used um, product of currency, uh, you know, among the the are...
0: Right. Yeah. So, going with both those questions. So, the you know, the latter question first. As I mentioned, many many authorities have, have 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 asserted confidently that we haven't reached that level today, but have explicitly held out the possibility. Acknowledged explicitly or implicitly, acknowledge the possibility that could change. Exactly what the standard would be, how widely usable is not well defined, and uh, and you know, th- th- there might very well be a transition period where you know, where, where, where you know, technology changes rapidly. But there may very well be a transition period where there would be a, there, would, there would be uh, some serious debate about whether we've crossed that line or not. Regarding the first question about the the way people treat it is, is money. So th- this is an important point, and this point is made. I, have, I did not have the chance to listen to the lecture again in preparation for this talk, but this point I, I heard a while back, I believe, made by Rav Usher Weiss, a leading uh, incisive and creative thinker in, in Eretz Israel. He has said that we have to, he, he, You know, he has acknowledged that maybe you're going to say it's not nothing It only He says it, he dismisses that. He says something that is so much money and so much interest, so many billions of dollars capitalized and so much Interest so much, so many companies, so much reporting. He says the fact that so much of the world uh, has accepted that this is a real thing. He says that that uh, he said halacha has to accept that halacha simply. It's this is a, this is a classic kind of a, a bold method of thought, but a kind of a, a seductive or persuasive one. He says the Torah has to uh, certainly in a civil law context where civil law anyway is about people people's arranging. You can have mechila. People can can agree to things. It's anyway about people arranging their financial affairs in ways that, that suit them. He says something that so much of the world recognizes as having a real existence and having value and being legitimate. Halacha has to accept that that it exists as well. So, so yes. Yeah, so, there, and, and that's a, again that, that's a bold. That's very similar, actually, to what Rabbi Yosef Shal Nathanson, the perhaps the most uh, enthusiastic endorser of intellectual property in the sense of patents and copyrights. He wrote, uh, also about 200 years ago, he wrote that the, it's obvious that, that Jewish law recognizes intellectual property because it just intuitively makes sense. And, and non-Jewish law recognizes it, he says. So, like, clearly it has to exist because obviously it does. He doesn't feel the need to, to introduce any Talmudic precedent. He says that just, it's just logical and it's widely accepted and it's the way the world works, kind of. So it's, uh, it was obvious to him that that was grounds for... For introducing a, a fundamental concept into Torah law and 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 Ravasha Weiss is saying something I think similar to uh, about about crypto assets that something that has gained so much traction in in, in world society certainly should be recognized as something, but again, whether it 's gained that much as uh, as currency many people perhaps most people who buy crypto today are doing it uh, as some form of investment or speculation so the argument is perhaps more powerful for considering it an asset, you're know, less powerful for considering it an actual currency. Now, to move on a little bit. So, I've been talking a lot about the, the different asset classes under Torah law As, ordinary assets, instruments, uh, currency. So the Hebrew words for this are metaltalin means ordinary personal property, movable property, uh, matbeah is coins or currency, and ashtaris are instruments. So, what are the ramifications? What does it matter? What, what are the halachic implications for how we choose to classify these types of digital assets? So, for many purposes, it doesn't really matter. For purposes of kinyanim, of exchanging things, you know, barter works. Uh, the Same, barter works.
1: Right. the question
0: is, how does how halacha plays places a tremendous emphasis on kinyan on the very formal, specific modes of acquiring mm-hmm. assets? That's an important question. When would Halakha recognize a digital asset as having changed ownership? But, uh, but, but in general, stepping back even from that for a moment, it, so in the, in the handout, which I can send you later, the, there, was, there was a case where a couple of techie uh, crypto entrepreneurs, they, they were Jewish, they, they got married, they exchanged NFT rings. They, they pulled out their phones and they... Uh, they, they so we're not going to get into the double ring ceremonies aspect of that here, but the, can you get married using NFTs? Can you get married using crypto? So here it doesn't matter whether it's currency or asset. Yeah, you, you put it on the kala's finger. Right. right. Well, what do you, how do you do that exactly? So you know, not, the finger, obviously, is it's a minhag, but it's not, it's not required. So the, what, you don't need currency for kiddushin. We typically don't use currency. We typically use a ring. Halacha allows you to, to, use, to exchange, to, for the chasim to give the kala, for the, for the groom to give the bride for, for kiddushin, to marry her any type of item of value or even services or so on, to provide her with a service if that's mutually agreed upon. The minog today is a ring, and, as I said, but a gold ring, but... But, can but. give it. services? There's a, there's a whole gemara about that. If you say, Dabrala, uh, the three, three of the examples the gemara gives are either performing some kind of art which was considered a service or lobbying, speaking to the government on, on my behalf. So that's the... As, as, long, as long as the service is considered to have value, and the uh, and the woman agrees so to accept it as condition.
1: On lobbying, probably. What? In this city, which lives. Right, in lobbying, lobbying.
0: Yeah, that's a good topic for for another another class, maybe <laughs> the, the halachic uh, discussions of lobbying in, in the history of uh, Jewish law.
1: Given that you mentioned, I was thinking all the time about this. Why is such a controversy about in Jewish law? Say about the uh, intangibles? If are, uh, even if they're wide. Gives he gives the future husband something and she has satisfaction, but if he just received it, it's accepted. So he said, has a value at least of Shabbat pruta Right. So apparently we have a... a
0: right. So see, he's making a very interesting point, a very, a very uh, subtle and incisive point, which is that for kiddushin in particular, probably other types of transactions as well, we do recognize uh, intangible benefits. Certainly, if he gives her a tangible object like a ring, that's kedushin. As I said, it can provide her a service. And even in some cases, he's referring to a Talmudic passage that says that it, in certain cases where 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 the where the, the giver of the gift it's better to give than to receive. In certain case, in general, it doesn't work. But in certain cases where the with a giver is considered to have gotten tangible benefit from giving a gift, for example, if the person accepting the gift is someone important and someone distinguished, a celebrity, a, someone who's you can, you can proudly say he took a gift from me, then, then in that case as well, if the woman gives the ring to the man and she gets satisfaction from accepting it, that can be conducive. How widely that applies, whether any woman can just say, I like him so much that I'm happy that he accepted my ring. That's a, that's a good question. Now, I, I don't want to get too deeply into the laws of kedushin, but the basic point he's making is that we do recognize the intangibles as well—the the idea of satisfaction, the hanah—we call it in uh, in rabbinic terminology, hanah benefit—is enough to make kedushin. So the the suggestion would be that even if we don't recognize the bitcoin itself as having value or as existing even. The fact that the person gets Hana, gets benefit from having it, because it, it is redeemable, it is convertible to, to other types of assets, which are clearly assets, maybe that itself should be a reason to make the kedushin valid, even if we don't accept that the Bitcoin itself is anything in Halakha. That's a very powerful point. And the, the, the Gemara makes that point with regard to debts as well. It discusses if we, you, can, you, you can marry a woman by waiving a debt to her, or by the Hana that she has. There, there are kind of two subtly different ways of doing it from a legalistic perspective. You can either try to mechadish her with the debt itself, which may or may not work, or by the Hana, the benefit she gets by having her debt wiped clean. That's, a, that's considered another approach. So that, that would be a very good point, that even if someone were to argue, like I tried earlier to argue, that Bitcoins don't exist, let's say, from a Torah perspective, we take a fundamentalist, traditionalist view that they don't have any tangible existence and therefore they're not recognized by Halakha, condition still might work on the grounds that, if, at least if you, if you express the condition the right way, you say, I want the condition to work with the hano with the benefit, that might very well mean that kadution would work, even if we would not acknowledge that the Bitcoins had any, any, any actual existence from a halakhi perspective. So that's a good point. Yes?
1: You talked about intangibles, copyrights. Whenever you look at a venture, there's always a copyright without Indication whether it's the style, the italics, what have you, has that ever been politically challenged as to what, what is the copyright and what's the legal status of it in any given
0: venture? So that's an interesting question. The, the, the question is when, when, when a venture or a sitter or some other type of literary work is copyrighted or, or, or a Torah work is copyrighted, so you can assert copyright to various things, to the, to, 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 the, the, to the basic text, to the style, the graphic design, the fonts, the layout, and so on. This actually does come up in, 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 the, in the halakhic literature of copyright because it, it comes up a lot. Like the venture might be an example, but uh, there, are, there are higher stakes cases as well where we're the people of the book. We, we've had books published for, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Many of the books published today are modern editions of, of texts that were existed in manuscript, were circulated for a while, and then were published in the 16th century, in the 15th or 16th century, and early, like the Talmud. It's printed, one of the early, printed way back 500-plus years ago, printed numerous times since then. The modern Talmuds often have the same text, but they often undergo more editing, and they have additional things, critical apparatus, citations, and they have additional commentaries. And sometimes uh, a later edition of the Talmud or of a classic work it's keeping the basic text, but the value they're adding is they're, they're sharpening the font, they're, they're using laser typesetting, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're using a more pleasing layout, they're, they're, they're a more uh, a more readable or a more uh, a better organized. So these questions have come up where, where, where people with the publisher of a modern Shulchan Aruch or a modern uh, folio of the Talmud have argued that even though it's not our text and the text has been in the public domain for centuries, but uh, we're still adding tremendous value, tremendous cost, and tremendous value, tremendous cost to us, and tremendous value to you, simply because of our, like you said, the other aspects. And so these questions have come up. I, I'm not going to get too much deep, more deeply into that. But yeah, that, that's a real question that that does arise, as to uh, what can you protect uh, from from a, from a Jewish perspective uh, through these types of mechanisms as well. But I guess there are two related questions. What's that? I'm sorry, just what's that? Yeah, whether crypto is or is not currency. Mm-hmm. I bea is a little bit, I mean, it's a little bit coin, but um, are they, are, do they raise problems of rivets? Yes. So rivets, so usually we'll get to that in a moment. That's one of the next things I want to talk about. All right, now, okay. Yes, and you were saying?
1: Two questions. One is, um, you know, there's many different products of crypto assets, and there's also many um, different methods by which you invest. I'm not sure if you're with staking, pooling. Um, I don't even know. All these are, but i, I know it's very slightly little, you know superficial level um do you know if there's any any of these that are considered more or less of a halachic issue um, in any way, or are we just sort of looking at the whole
0: body of crypto assets? So, so I'm, I'm looking more at the whole body. And most of the discussions I've seen have not gotten into those finer and more recent details of things like uh, of things like staking and smart contracts and the, the rest of these types of uh, 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 decentralized uh, DeFi, decentralized autonomous organizations. But most of the literature has not quite caught up with the latest developments. I will admit I also have uh, only a very cursory understanding of these things, and therefore I'm, I'm not going to go too much deeper into that. So uh, the, we're running a little bit late. So, so, so I, I want to just uh, a few more remarks and then, then we can discuss further. So Ribus, the, the question of usury. So, uh, so kaducian, as we've said, the, there's a pretty good case to be made that you can perform cadution with, uh, with, with crypto. Again, the minog is to use a ring. There is one other issue before we move on to, to usury, to ribus. There is one other issue of cadution that halacha is, again, the minog is a ring. You don't need a ring. You can use any item of value. There is a, there is a requirement that the item that you give should have a clear, well-defined, and well-understood price. The, the, the reason, for example, why, we, the, why the standard minimum is to use a simple gold ring for, for a Kedushin and not something uh, more elaborate like a, like a diamond ring. or There are some cultures, some Sephardim do use fancier rings, but the reason why in Ashkenazic circles we use a very simple unadorned gold ring is because there's a concern that anything that has to be appraised, that, whose value is not so well-defined, Even if we know it's worth more than the minimal amount, can cause problems because if the woman overestimates how much it's worth and really it's worth less than that, that can the the lack of meaning of the minds can cause a problem in the caducian. That's also why we say at the wedding, we ask the witnesses, is this worth a pruta, a de minimis amount, the minimum you need for cadution? because we want the woman to say, we're not promising you, we're not guaranteeing you anything more than a pruta." You know the gold is worth more than that, but accept that, that your kudushin is as long as it's worth a pruta. But nevertheless, despite the fact that we say that, there is a minog that we want the item to have a very clear, very, uh, to have a, rel- a reasonably clear, well-defined value. Crypto, Varies. Things like Bitcoin, the widely traded, relatively liquid, well-established cryptocurrencies do have pretty good, uh, well-defined values. The, actually, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the way he made his first fortune in crypto in the early days was arbitrage. He realized that in Tokyo, the, the markets were were delayed, and the markets were settling. I don't know what he did, but he realized that he could buy stuff, I think, in, 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 in Japan and sell it in the U.S. or vice versa. And he made. And he, he's making up to I think ten percent on, on these round trips, and he made a fortune. I think before I guess the market caught up with him. He, he caught on to some early arbitrage opportunity where the prices were not apparently quite standardized yet, and that's what traders do. That that, that that's uh, that, that when they find there's uh, big money to be made if you if, if you can find these opportunities and act on them quickly enough. So, but in general, the, the more well-established crypto have relatively well-defined prices, but things like NFTs, especially some of the some of the less prominent ones, the prices are all over the place. You don't know until you put it up for sale sometimes. They have what they call floor prices, but, but individual NFTs in the collection might go for more than the floor price. So there, there would be an issue, before anyone practically considers using an NFT, NFTs especially, there would be issues if they don't satisfy the, the rules that the, the price should be well-defined and precise and clearly understood. But in general, getting past that, the, the condition would be fine. Ribis usury. So, this is an interesting question. The halacha is we, we know that the Torah forbids lending money at interest. You're not allowed to pay back more than you receive. You're not allowed to charge interest. You're not allowed to pay interest. Now, you would think that, okay, but as long as I pay back the same thing that I borrowed, that should be fine. So, if I can borrow $10, pay back $10. I, can buy, I should be able to borrow 10 cows and pay back 10 cows. I should be able to borrow 10 bushels of wheat and pay back 10 bushels of wheat. I should be able to borrow 10 Bitcoin and pay back 10 Bitcoin. Midaraisi, you can do that. Under biblical law, you can do that. Midrabanan, rabbinic law, has a, 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 an important prohibition. You're not, allowed to, you know, that, that you're not allowed to denominate a loan in anything other than currency. The, 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 rab, the rabbis made a rule. You may not denominate a loan in anything other than currency because the concern is, let's say uh, wheat. The Gemara's example is wheat. Let's say I borrow 10 bushels of wheat and I agree to pay back 10 bushels of wheat. If the price of wheat moves in the meantime, let's say it goes up, then the wheat I pay back will have been worth more than the wheat that I borrowed. Now, from a modern economic perspective, we know that it never makes sense to speak about a price changing in an absolute way. It's always relative. When you discuss, let's say, currency movements, you always say dollar versus pound or dollar versus yen. You can never speak about a currency moving in the abstract. It's always, you could speak about the relative movement of two currencies because how do you know which one moved? It's meaningless to talk about one currency moving, moved relative to what? We measure inflation, the movement of a currency, we measure relative to a given basket of goods and services. They put together 30 common things, iPhones and pizza and cars, whatever they use in their baskets, and they they measure the currency against that. But using modern economic terminology, you can only measure something moving against something else. You can't measure movement in a vacuum. But from a halakhic perspective, the way we look at it is the currency is considered to be stable, Everything else is considered to be moving against the currency. Again, how to reconcile that with our modern theories of economics is a different que- is a separate question. But from a legal perspective, from a halakhic perspective, that's how we view it. The price of money is considered stable. The price of everything else is considered to be fluctuating against money. So when I borrow money and I pay back money, that's fine because by definition I'm, I'm paying back the same amount that I borrowed. But if I borrow wheat and pay back wheat, that's called sa'abisa since the wheat may have moved against the dollar, in particular, if it goes up against the dollar, I borrowed $10 worth of wheat, I paid back $12 worth of wheat, even though it's the same quantity of wheat, that's Osir that's a form of ribis. So, 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 so in general, you're not allowed to, to, to borrow, to make a loan denominated in anything other than currency. And not only that, but the, most, most authorities say the local currency, meaning I, in the U.S., I can't borrow pounds or yen or, or shekel even if I agree to pay back the same number of pounds or yen or shekel, because since they move against the dollar, if they go up against the dollar, since we live here in the U.S., we look at the dollar as being the benchmark against which everything else is measured. And if the currency that I borrowed in goes up, I will have done ribis midrub In Israel, you can borrow shekel, and according to many, you can't borrow dollars, because dollars is not the local currency. Some say the dollars is like a universal currency, but, the, but in general, you can only borrow in currency, and according to most authorities, only the local currency. So the question is, so it would seem then, and this is what I think authorities generally say, you cannot borrow Bitcoin, you cannot make a loan in crypto, because since, as we said before, most authorities say crypto is not currency, doesn't meet the standard of legal tender, doesn't meet the standard of uh, universal medium of exchange, and so on. Therefore, most authorities consider crypto to be just an ordinary asset, like wheat or anything else, which means you're not allowed to make a loan, a simple loan, in crypto. Now, there are a few ways around this. There are a few ways to do this. Certainly, if you want to denominate the loan in dollars, most people don't want to do that, but you can certainly, you can certainly denominate, say, I'm borrowing $1,000 in Bitcoin, I will pay you back $1,000 in Bitcoin based on the price of Bitcoin at the time of payment to the loan. That's fine, because by definition, there's no ribbis. Generally, you're not doing that. If you want to borrow $1,000, you just borrow $1,000. If you're borrowing Bitcoin, you typically want to denominate the loan in Bitcoin, and that is a problem. There are, however, major leniencies here, the most prominent one being leniency of Yeshlo. The halacha is this rule of sa b that you can't denominate a loan in anything other than the local currency, that is limited to where you have, that only applies if you yourself, the, the borrower has no, ha, currently has no assets of that asset type. If you have any, even a small amount, even some, some small fraction of a bitcoin, that's fine. If I already own some arbitrarily small quantity of bitcoin, I can freely borrow more. Why? We're not going to get into why, but the rabbi said that didn't bother them. As long as you have at least some in your possession, that's fine. So as long as I own at least one Bitcoin or even a small fraction of a Bitcoin, that's, that's fine. There's, there's no longer any prohibition of sub-sub. You can denominate future further loans in Bitcoin. You can even agree to designate a small part of your loan as a, as a gift. Or you or, or can say, if I'm borrowing 100 Bitcoin, you can say, 1,000th of 1 Bitcoin should be a gift, or 1,000th of 1 Bitcoin shall be a loan denominated in dollars. I'll pay you back the equivalent value of $1 at the end of the loan, and the rest of it is denominated in Bitcoin. That's mutter as well. You just have to make sure that the loan is that the loan is structured properly. So I'm just going to wind up. I'm just going to kind of summarize, and I can take further questions afterward. So the, the bottom line is, it's not, clear Bit, it's not clear that crypto is anything in Torah law, although most authorities assume that it is. In practice uh, for many purposes it doesn't matter how we classify Bitcoin in practice for trading for buying selling it would it would work whether it's currency or not it doesn't matter if it's currency the one area the post can actually debated with regard to paper money was pigeonet ben we use silver typically but you don't have to use silver you can use any any can use any any type of asset so that much of the discussion in the 19th century was about whether you can use paper money for pigeonet ben and there were some who said not. There were some who said that it's considered instruments and not money. Or, but again, whether it's assets or currency, that's fine. And, but there were those who said you shouldn't use the Pinyin ben. But Pinyin ben is a special case. Again, Aberning is to use silver, so that's not of, uh, that's not of uh, the greatest practical importance. Mikadish and Isha, again, not so practical. The minog the for Kedushin is to use gold and to use rings and to use simple rings, certainly not NFTs or crypto. In theory, if a person performed Kedushin with NFTs or crypto, there is a good case to be made that it works. even if it's not currency; it's simply simply an asset. And as you pointed out, even if it's not an asset, if you if you structure it in terms of HANA, in terms of benefit received, it might be valid anyway. In terms of ribis, you have to be careful because you're not allowed to denominate a loan in anything other than other than currency, local currency, which Bitcoin is certainly not. But again, there are ways around that if a person wants to wants to denominate a loan in in crypto assets. There are ways to do it. A person just needs to be aware of the halacha and to make sure to structure the loan properly, which is not that difficult to do, but it just requires a certain awareness of the laws of ribs.